Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. Two young men, one dashing, good-looking, clever, the other the associate pastor, have met to do a Wednesday broadcast of Daybreak Devotions. Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Mike Barnett and associate pastor Corey Cantrell. Live and in person. (laughs) Right Uh, here. Trying to figure out what we're doing. I know what we're doing. Trying to figure out how to get stuff to work. Oh, yes. Well, we are glad to be back with you. It's Wednesday. How could it possibly be Wednesday again already? We just did a Wednesday Word of the Week, and look at us. Now here we are ready for another one. Seems like it was just a week ago. But how quickly the week comes and goes. Do you remember last week's Wednesday Word of the Week? I should, but I don't. Well. Do you remember last week's Wednesday's Word of the Week? Yes. One thought leads to another, which would be the nexus nexus. to another. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we're up to the Nexus Word of the Week for this Wednesday. Ladies and gentlemen, this week's Wednesday's Word of the Week. I'm taking this one straight out of the resource that's in my hand. But I did not just pick the word of the day that popped up on the uh, the dictionary app. I did a little backtracking. This was yesterday's word. Well, it's within the last week. Oh. I just thought, well, let me see what, they, what they're offering. And this one caught my attention because while I don't know I've ever used this word, I've read it a lot. Okay. Okay? I'm going to put it in a sentence. The quest to slake his wanderlust was never ending. Slake or uh, wanderlust? Slake is the word. You picked the right one. Right. They slaked their thirst with cold lemonade. Huh. So the word slake means what? Quench or To satisfy satisfied. or quench. Yes, it can also mean to hydrate. We need to slake ourselves. All right. Be aware of deslakage. It could lead to a lot of medical problems. Yep. Have no fear. The word of the day is here to slake your thirst for knowledge. The uses of slake are varied and fluid. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> its most common meaning is synonymous with satisfy or quench. One can slake anything, from curiosity to literal thirst. In chemistry, slake can mean to cause a substance to heat and crumble by treatment with water and is used specifically in the noun phrase slaked lime, which refers to a compound used in binding agents such as plaster and cement. Shout out to our construction boys out there. And girls. And girls. Equal opportunity. This is the 21st century. Yes, it is. The word does have some obsolete meanings as well. In Shakespearean times, slake meant to subside or abate or to lessen the force of. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is this week's Wednesday Word of the Week. Now you may be asking yourself, where, old Pastor Mike, are you reading that word so often? Are you reading Shakespeare? Why, no, I'm not reading Shakespeare, but I've read it many times in Louis L'Amour. Oh. It's a common term in Western writing. You know, he stopped by the water hole to slake his thirst. Okay, well, we're off the Wednesday word of the week now. We're going to be in Psalm 78. 
this morning, Psalm 78. And this will take us back to our staff huddle and some things that I was sharing there. And actually, it's kind of taken me back to a couple of mornings of meditation, reflection, prayer. And that's where this all comes out. Psalm 78. Man, this is, this is how long is it? 64, 72 verses. It's not the longest psalm, but it is one of the longer ones. But as I, as I told the folks in the church the other day, every time I come to Psalm 78, I just expect to get some help out of it because this psalm is giving the story of God's redemption of Israel, how he brings them out of Egypt and then leads them through the wilderness, ultimately to the appointment or the you know the calling of David to be the king of Israel. And, and the story just is up and down and up and down of God delivers, Israel will forget him, fail him, turn from him. God remembers them, God delivers them, they follow God, then they're back to forgetting God again. And it's this up and down roller coaster ride. But one wonderful thing about it is it's making progress. Always in the journey with God, we're making progress toward the end. And the end of it is that God is going to complete and finish in us what he has started. So to anyone listening today, what what we can take away from the very beginning here of this is if you have given yourself to the Lord and yet you find yourself like Israel often off track or off trail, uh, know this, that he's going to finish the work in you that he has started. And this psalm supports that, and we want to look at some ways that it, it teaches that. So uh, let's read a few verses here from Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Before I get into, I guess, the primary thoughts, and I, I have this psalm broken down into four, four key thoughts. So the first thought that I had just reading those verses as I was looking at this psalm is it makes you think about what is the primary thing that we're teaching our children. So as parents or grandparents or even as uh, leaders, ministers in the church, what, what are we teaching our children? What is our greatest desire for them? That's a question that should be put in front of all of the parents that sit in our congregations. Like, what are you really wanting and hoping for your children? And that's something that we have to give intentional thought to answering because if, if we're not careful, we are so programmed that we have the answer to that question. But a lot of times when we get serious about the question, we may not actually like the answer that we have. You know, I think there have been generations of people that have been taught to be really, really, really good Christians and really good church members, really good citizens, really good Republicans, really good fill-in-the-blank with, with anything— but I think it's been a lot of people that they would never say that that was their goal and objective. Like they would say, well, no, I want to teach my children to really follow and love Jesus. But until we stop and get honest with ourselves about whatever the answer to that question actually is, we can't make the necessary adjustments to make sure that that answer is <laughs> the right answer. Well, when I broke this up, I included verse 8 into my second thought, but 
it might help to read verse 8 with it. So we're teaching it to our children, that they should teach it to their children, and so forth and so on. Verse 7, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. So if the emphasis in our children's lives is the old classic, I want them to have it better than I did. But what that means is I want them to be able to succeed in temporal worldly things, mm-hmm. and I want them to be successful. I want them to make more money. I want them to be able to have better vacations. I want them to have nice things. Well, we've already betrayed where our heart lies because the psalmist is saying what we want for our children is that they will not be stubborn and rebellious like their fathers were, but that they will actually be faithful to God and give their hearts to God. And so the idea that I take out of this, here you have, let's just keep it in the context of Israel, here you have these Jewish people who are going to do what duty requires. Okay, This was a major thing with Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes in particular, but I'm sure it was true of more common people as well, They were doing the duties that were expected of them. But here's the first thought that I I took from the psalm. Duty to God is not necessarily devotion to God. So you can do all the things and yet your heart not be given to him. Mm -hmm. Isaiah says, Isaiah 29 and verse 13, these people draw nigh to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus, of course, quotes that later about the Pharisees. But it also reminded me of something very strong that Jesus says, hard sayings of Jesus. I haven't listened to all of them yet, but I've noticed this series that's been coming out by Timothy Keller. It's a preaching series on hard things that Jesus said, like, I've come to set the earth on fire, you know, and I wish it was already burning. Okay? That one has stood out to me recently in some other studies. Um, I think I even mentioned that text yesterday on the radio. But this is one of those hard sayings. Matthew 7, verse 21 and 23. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in thy name and cast out demons and do all these wonderful works? And he's going to say to them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's a hard saying of Jesus. And we look at that and, 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 and question like, well, how could those people be doing all those things in his name? And yet he doesn't know them. But it's right here in this. Someone who is squeaky clean on the outside, who believes that they are truly serving God, but on the inside, it's all about them. It's a self thing. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I think is the first concept that's presented in this psalm. If you want to get it right, you've got to understand that duty to God is not the same thing as devotion to God. And again, as we're talking about as it relates to teaching our children, I think especially in our circle of churches— there has been a big emphasis on the checking the boxes, doing the right thing. We have we've taught obedience, we've taught um, conformity to the expectation. You know, you ought to look right, dress right, talk right, spit white, and all that good jazz. And run with those that do. Yeah, and and it's it has created a lot of. What's the, what's the term that you've used? Closet centers? Mm-hmm. It's created a lot of people that, that, that look and, man, they're, 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 they're getting it. They've got the duty. They're, they're doing all of the right things, but it's just, ugh. 
And then when the truth comes out, they get caught. Yeah. And we're, we it's can't believe it. Like, wow, how does that? How did that happen? Because duty to God, duty before God is not the same thing as devotion to God. And I think the beautiful thing is devotion to God doesn't excuse the wrongdoing. It doesn't make an allowance to, to not meet up to standard. But what it does is devotion almost provides, rather than, rather than being obedient out of a fear of, oh no, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do right, it's more of an obedience out of, it breaks my heart to do wrong, but I know that I am loved enough that if I do wrong, I can make things right and I can get back on the right track. And I, it's not like it's not like falling off the cliff like you see with people that are duty bound that once they fall, it's a it's a long way down. But those that it's devotion when they fall, they get back up and they course correct. And we teach our children that, hey, no matter what you do, I'm always going to love you. But but a lot of times we don't actually put that into practice. If we can do what we're instructed here to do, to truly teach this love, this acceptance, this this heart for God, that in all things God is always there for you. But in order to do that, we got to learn that ourselves. It's about creating an atmosphere within our community of faith where honesty, transparency is welcome. Yes. It's received. So then we move on to the next part of the psalm, and I, I wrote this down as verse 8 through verse 31, but here's the principle that I, I wrote down. Remembering God by purposeful living is the cure to rebelling against God by our sinful living. So when you start reading this passage, I'm not going to read all of it, but just listen to the first few verses. I've already read verse 8, but the end of it says, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God, and then he gives these examples. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. So there's this turning, there's this forsaking of the the calling, forsaking of what is their responsibility. Mm-hmm. So that's duty given by God, right? And then in the right place is what we're supposed to do. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. So you just look at what this tells us. Here, here's a people rebelling against God's will. They forget God. They're testing God. If you're going through these verses, through verse 31, they're testing God. They're doubting God. And all of it is attributed to or the result of them living out of their carnal appetites and their carnal attitudes. You know, if, if you go down, for example, later, verse 13 down, God has brought them through the Red Sea. He's led them by a cloud in the day, a pillar of fire at night. He claved the rocks in the wilderness, gave them drink, brought streams out of the rock, gave them plenty of water. And then verse 17, they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. They tempted him in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Sure, he smote the rock and gave us water, but can he give us bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? And on and on and on this goes. And so their, their carnal appetites and carnal attitudes where self was actually king in their life. And we've talked about that going back to Sunday's message, living out of that self-life. So we desperately need to keep our hearts fixed on God, his grace, his goodness, his glory. How do we do that? We do that by the scriptures, of course. We do that by creation. We do that by getting with others who have a heart for God. 
We just need to remember God by some intentional, purposeful living, and that will be the cure to rebelling against God by sinful living. It's a very simple thing, but it's something we have to put into practice diligently and daily. Yeah, to remember on purpose, I think, is something It's something that I struggle with in a variety of different areas. It's like, all right, I need to remember to do that. I need to remember to do that. And my good intentions to remember on purpose a lot of times fall short. And what I have learned is because I don't have the proper infrastructure in place to support my remembering. You know, I haven't written it down somewhere where I'm going to see it or I haven't done something that is going to draw my attention back to what I remember. And I, I have found in my life that I do the same thing with my remembrance of God. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to focus on him more. I'm going to remember him. I'm going to really pay close attention to his goodness and his faithfulness to keep my heart on track with him. But without being diligent about putting it into effort, I find myself straying so much. And a lot of times doing things or acting in ways that it's like, man, where on earth did that come from? What, what, what? Why am I living? Why am I why am I doing this? Why did I choose to do this? Well, there wasn't that intentional remembrance, and therefore it was a whole lot easier for me to live and do things that wouldn't have been easier to do if my heart and my mind was truly given to God as it should. It's an incredible testimony that Israel has, and one that we unfortunately share, or have shared often, a people that God did so much for, and yet they are best described as stubborn, rebellious, disloyal, unfaithful. They demanded of God in their fear, mm-hmm. like when they were afraid that they weren't going to have what they lusted after. They demanded of God. And then they blamed God because of their lack. Like, we wouldn't be in this situation, God, if you were able to take care of us. And then they forget God whenever he blesses them. Yeah. And, and that, is just, that is just the nature of our spiritual journey. But it's the, it's the fruit of an immature Walk is the fruit of not doing the things that we were just talking about, of not intentionally, purposefully remembering. That's why 1 Corinthians 10, which correlates with this psalm so well, Paul makes it very clear. I, I, hey, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. I'm going to tell you this so that you will see what Israel did in the wilderness and you will learn from their example and not repeat it in these last days. Mm-hmm. Well, some of us are really having a hard time learning the lesson, but God is gracious and he is working with us. And so we need to be crucifying the self. That's really what it's calling for. The third principle, which would be verse 32 through 64, I wrote down as this. Hypocrisy before God is only defeated by honest confession to God. Now, again, we come, in, we come into verse 32 and on. They sin steal. They believe not his wondrous works. Therefore, their days did he consume in vanity. He slew them. Then they sought him, and they returned and inquired early after God, and they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongues. In other words, they told him what they thought he wanted to hear. You know, isn't that just what we do? Is that not maybe the uh, impetus of a lot of what happens in church on a given Sunday? Mm -hmm. Well, let's sing the song because this is what God expects us to do while we're here. We should sing the song. Verse 37, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up 
his wrath. There's so much to read. That's going to take us all the way down through verse 34. But here's the point. As I read these verses, what I see is that the only thing that kept them in the right way, as far as anything they could do, was to just not fake it. Just own the fact that you've messed up. Hypocrisy is not going to to help us with God because he knows what's going on. I, I mentioned when we were talking about this with the with our staff at the church that it reminded me of Psalm 50 where God says, you know, to, to the wicked out there who take my name and claim to be obeying me and yet you're living in this these evil wrong ways, you thought because I didn't say anything that I was in agreement with you. But I've got I got news for you. And it's it's such a powerful statement, Psalm 50 verse 16 through 23. But Israel was not only stubborn and set in their ways, but they had become spiritual adulterers. And specifically, this thing of idols is mentioned in verse 58. For they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. So, again, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul mentions all these things. And the first thing he says in verse 7, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, that's an interesting correlation to idolatry, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What do you think Paul was getting at? I mean, in the example of Israel, I think you can look at you know, the golden calf episode. They're dancing and having a big party and powwow when Moses comes down off the mountain. But what's the larger application to the church of Corinth? Hey, just like they were idolaters, they, rode, they eat, drink, and rose up to play. I mean, I guess my question, if I reframe it, is what is excluded from the possibility of being an idol in our life? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> rose up to, uh, they eat, they drink, and they rose up to play. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a pretty comprehensive list. Well, he's going to say at the end of chapter 10, that's where he's going to say, whether you eat, therefore drink, do all to the glory of God. Yeah. And they were doing it to the glory of self. And I gave this quote by Timothy Keller, anything that is functionally more important to us than God is, is an idol. If you don't like the word functionally, anything that is practically in our day-to-day life more important to us than God is, is an idol. And right there, let's start making a list. And that's what we ought to do. Anything, this is the quote still, anything you love more than God, even a good thing like a spouse or a child or a social cause, is a false god. So I think it's important for us to ask that question about ourselves. What in my life is practically more important to me than God is. What do I go to and leave God out of? Mm-hmm. That's a good, I, write that down. That's a good way to ask the question. What do I go to and leave God out of? Yeah, and I think maybe even a, a good place to start from there is what what would turn my world upside down if I didn't have it tomorrow? And I think there's going to be some things that you would write down on that list that wouldn't necessarily be idols because I love my spouse, I love my children. It would turn my world upside down if something catastrophic happened. I think that's just a reality. But it at least gives me as a good point of, okay, how dependent am I on them? How much do I engage and interact with them to the exclusion and the neglect of God? And, and as we begin to fill out that list, then we're going to get down to even some pretty petty things. But that's where the honest confession has to come in, because as we begin to realize these things, these are the things God already knows about. But it is helpful for us then to take these to God and say, wow, God, I have been putting this stuff in front of you. And I am 
acknowledging that, and I am repenting of that, and I'm inviting you into these things to put them in their proper place. And if anybody's thinking, well, I don't I don't know if I actually do that, let me help you out. You do. Yep. It's not a question of if, it's a question of how much. Mm-hmm. And if if we are growing, then it should be less and less. But we just need to go back to that last thing. I mean, it's it's or I guess it's the one we're still on, right? It's hypocrisy before God is only defeated by honest confession to yeah. God. Just acknowledge it. There's only one word that describes Israel's story, and that's grace. Yeah. And maybe we could also, I thought, uh, use the word love, because this is love. God is love. He chose Israel, and he loved Israel because he loved Israel. That's Deuteronomy 7, 6-8, Jeremiah 31, 3. Neither Israel nor the church could stand apart from the love and grace of God. All that we have, all that we are, and all that we hope to become is in him. 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. So let me give you the last thing because we're about out of time on this wonderful Wednesday. As I seek to come to the close of this, verse 65 through verse 72, here's here's what I, I wrote down. Salvation in God is only possible by the sovereignty of God. Now you look at these verses. Verse 65 says it. Then the Lord awaked as one out of sleep, and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine, and he smote his enemies in the hinder parts. You know what that means in modern-day terms? He gave him a whooping. It means he kicked their butt. <laughs> Maybe that I should too. say he kicked their behind. He put them to a perpetual reproach. He refused the tabernacle. Joseph chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. What? God made a choice, right? He chose. He didn't choose the one that... Looked like he should choose. He chose who he wanted to choose. Mm-hmm. And he built his sanctuary in that place. He chose David. Not the likely one, but he chose the one he wanted. And, and so what you see here, the, the problem is both convicting and encouraging. How prone we are to forget God, to have idols in our life, to walk our own way, just like Israel did. And though God was angry with them and he turned them over to suffer consequences for their sin at times, he never left them. He never left them. Here again, the word is grace. But with it, we could add sovereign grace. God did because he wanted it. He rescued, he chose, he did what he would by his own heart's desire. You know, Genesis 49, 1 Samuel 16, 1, uh, 2 Chronicles 6, 6, Romans 9 has to be considered in all this. I mean, this is what God does. And, and though though those passages, this passage right here in Romans 9, some of those deal directly with the choosing of Israel as a whole, this is God choosing whom he will, Judah, David. And here's the point of all that, is to say, we will look at ourselves and see the unworthiness and say, I, I just don't know, I mean, how could this even be? You need to understand, God chooses you because he chooses you. He loves you because he loves you. You cannot merit it, and you cannot cause him to abandon it. You cannot do one thing to bring to make God love you more. You cannot do one thing to make God love you less. He has set his love upon thee. And the encouragement is, is that no matter how bad it gets, and look, friend, when we say it that way, it's actually not it's supposed to be getting better as we go along, not worse. And I think in God's grace and love, it gets better mm-hmm. in our learning to walk with God. So we're out of time. I don't know if I finished that well, 
but hopefully it gives, leaves you with something to think on. So have a great remainder of your day. We'll see you next time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.